When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 147, Nux2JS and being an open source maintainer with Alex Lichter. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be talking to Alex about a view framework called Nux.js and what being an open source maintainer is all about. Now, if this sounds interesting to you, because it should, because it was interesting to us, and you want to support the show, you can check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now, just more of a formal introduction before we hop over to the call. Alex Lichter is a self-taught developer who now runs his own web development consulting company, He's also a core maintainer of Nux.js, one of the largest Vue.js frameworks uh, for server-side rendering and static site generation. When not working on open-source frameworks, Alex is Alexander is giving talks, writing blog posts, and helping other companies with regard to web development. So we're going to cut over to that call with Alex now, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Alrighty, everybody, we have Alex on the line here. So, Alex, uh, I know I just did a little introduction for you here on the show, but, uh, you know, what's up? How's it going? And uh, how's uh, how's your COVID life going on as well? That's like, there's a new question for everybody now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and first of all, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm actually pretty good. Uh, got my first vaccine yesterday, so um, I'm pretty, pretty happy about that. So I hope things will get back to normal uh soonish <laughs> yeah, nice. that I, I, I can't complain here in germany uh it, it could be worse it could be a bit better i guess but uh i'm, I'm all good uh swamped in, in work in, in coding open source so i'm i'm not lazy <laughs> <laughs> that's the number one thing that'll get you right in lockdown everyone always says like you'll if you just kind of sit around you know it just starts you start like worrying about like Worrying about like, oh, I got to like get a new couch or whatever. You start like paying attention too much to your like surroundings. But if you kind of occupy yourself and, uh, you know, keep keep up with your work, then it really doesn't feel like a lockdown at all kind of thing. So definitely. And also building building like good habits. Uh, that, that's also a chance there during lockdown. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of friends that like doing some like body transformations, just working out. Go, and for me, uh, for myself, I also did that, like going uh, working out more often, going outside more often, even if it's just for a quick walk. Nice. Yeah. 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 I see a lot of people doing that in town too. So yeah, cool. Um, but yeah, Mike, uh, you can take on over. I know these, this is a Mike heavy episode for the listener out there. Uh, they know what that means. So uh, Mike, please, sir, take it away and let's, let's hop into this. We got a juicy episode here for you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just want to give a little background on how and why, like I kind of contacted Alex and, and what, what we're going to be talking about. So just a few weeks ago, I was working on an application and I was using Strappy and I noticed Strappy was having this like little mini conference on YouTube and Alex was one of the speakers on there. Uh, he was talking about Nux.js, Composition API and Strappy, kind of the combination of all those three things. And I found it super interesting because I was literally using that stack 
<laughs> as he was talking about it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, perfect. With the composition API and everything, I had wrote, written a couple blog posts on it right before. Um, so it was a kind of a perfect combination. I reached out and now uh, we have Alex on the show. So that's great. Uh, and as you know, he's a maintainer of the Nux.js project. So kind of the first thing I want to ask, and this is a question I get asked a lot when I do talk about frameworks in general, like Vue.js is already a framework, right? And then you build something on top of it, uh, like Nuxt. That's another framework on top of a framework. Now, there's plenty of reasons to do that, but I kind of want to, I kind of want to get your perspective. Like, why use a framework on top of a framework like Nuxt.js? Yeah, at, at first it seems a bit weird. Like as you said, another level of extra abstraction. Why would you want to do that? And well, the, the good thing is that the main goal of Nuxt is to make the developers' lives even easier than it is with just plain view. So when you start with view, you have a few things to, to think about, like for example, routing. So when you have a plain view application, you need a router.js file, you need to add every route there, uh, define everything manually. And with Nuxt, you have something called file system-based routing. So you have a pages folder and you just throw in your .view component files and they will be pages. So you have like pages slash about.view and it will map to slash about on the actual project. And there are lots of uh, of these nitty features, nitty gritty features that that will help developers um, to don't very lot about configuration and manual work. Um, so everything will work out of the box, and you basically just need two commands to have a production ready application you can deploy. Um, also with server set rendering included if you want that. Um, plus, if you want to change some things like uh, dig into the Webpack config or change variable settings or I don't know, add post CSS plugins, all these things, it's super easy. So you're not, you don't have some kind of vendor login. Uh, login. It's it's more like sensible defaults, but you can change all the things. I mean, you can even customize the, the Nuxt.js behavior itself if your application or project needs that. Yeah, so, so to sum it up, well, lots of cool features that makes developers' lives easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, I think it honestly, it does do exactly that. And the best way I, I have to show it, like um, even today, I had someone reach out and was like, hey, can you just quickly get me started with Nuxt? And I just showed him that pages thing because they were they were using Vue before and they were using Vue Router and all that. Uh, so they had that idea. But I'm like, this is why you use Nuxt. Like you literally put a file in here with a, like a dot view file into this folder and it's immediately accessible as a route. So that was a really powerful demonstration on my end. Obviously, the service had rendering, static site generation stuff. That's another whole thing. Um, actually, in, in your own kind of, mindset server-side rendering static site generation how would you sum that up for like a regular like a, a person that's just starting out in web development uh why would you would use those two things i guess okay, they're so, used in different spots but regardless yeah that definitely definitely so server-side rendering is super important when it comes to like public facing pages so think about i don't know portfolios company pages forums something like that so everything where content is visible and should be also indexable by search engines so yeah, the main the main benefit is SEO. Um, also, same thing applies to static site generation. Um, they, like with a plain old SPA, you have the HTML generated through JavaScript, so it's not like right inside the source code if you if you load the application, uh, and that's not that good for for search engines like Google. So SEO is a huge thing, but also ha having decent core web vitals. So with service rendering, you get the HTML back directly through the request, also for static uh, for static site generation. Um, so that means better time to first buy, better time to interactive. Um, so there, there are lots of benefits there. But if you have like um, an application that's behind like a login screen, you don't necessarily need service and rendering or static site generation. 
So um, it's it's uh, a powerful tool. It adds a little bit of complexity as well, um, as usual. With like more power comes more responsible <laughs> responsibility. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's a concept that's worth reading into it if you're like writing um, your own probably your own personal side. Um, so that that's a super point to get started there. And also, like as I said, for forums, health databases, everything is public facing. And if you have real time data, for example. Uh, I'm I'm running a site where you can check if um, your own site is is running some kind of uh, text compression called Broadly, um, which is better than GZIP, but that's just a side note. Mm-hmm. Um, and that site basically processes real-time data. So you put in your URL, there will be a check made, and then the result will be shown. And there is like an, a real-time history when people are uh, checking their own pages. So in this scenario, you want to use dynamic server-side rendering because with static site generation, you would regenerate your site every time there is new uh new data and um this takes this takes a lot of time also a lot of build time uh, and otherwise request is just going through on the fly so there are a few differences here and there but in general these concepts are worth learning um for i think most of the people even if you don't use it just to know what it is uh, is super important maybe in the next project What's yeah, the but, what's the scale uh, of project that you would recommend? You know, Nuxt be used at like should the you? I know you mentioned some examples there, forums and stuff like that. But is there a an ideal scale where it's like you know I'm going to get ten thousand viewers a month. I'm going to get a hundred thousand. Like, is there a min and max scale there? Can it be used just any time? Like, what would you say? Like, when should you be introducing Nuxt into your into your project? So, I mean that that's a good that's a good question actually. I think Nuxt can be used in any scale. Of course, at some point you have to think about how to scale the whole system. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you use static site generation, it's not that difficult because you just have play HTML files, you deploy them somewhere and usually platform, platform like Versal, Netlify, they cover all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you run something like e-commerce where you need dynamic server-side rendering, then you have to think about scaling, of course. Uh, but I, so I think Nuxt is enterprise ready. You can use it in really large scale projects, um, and and some of my customers are doing this as well. Um, so just for transparency, I'm a web development consultant. So um, I basically give advice to to companies when they use Vue and Nuxt in their uh, in their projects. Um, but it's also good for some very basic sites because you you don't have all that hassle with setting up uh, the build tool chain and setting up um, or like you can use Vue CLI for that as well. But if you use Nuxt and other projects, you really feel home with the whole folder structure and you know which modules to pull in, which things to install. So from my opinion, I I don't have a reason not building frontends with Nuxt nowadays. So it can be small applications, medium sized, large scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I actually had an ex- experience of this like recently where um, another benefit of Nuxt that, that I noticed and as, as you were talking, I just remembered. Uh, a little little thing that happened was like we were trying to integrate Bootstrap into our view project. And to do that, you have to have a bunch of dependencies if, you, if you've ever done Bootstrap view. Uh, there's a bunch of different dependencies you have to download. Stuff like Nuxt, like a package, uh, a framework like Nuxt actually has a package for that to be able to integrate it with kind of one line in Yarn or an NPM. And that's another kind of little benefit of, you know, if you're using, if you're just starting out in web development, yeah, we always recommend going the CSS, JS, HTML path. Once you have that, like, that knowledge down enough, um, you shouldn't be afraid to build, like, a really simple site in Nuxt because it'll actually make a lot of your logical, uh, in like, importing a lot of your build tools a lot easier. At least that's how I see it. Like, it... 
For me, it's easier to set up a Nux project than it is to configure all the view routing, the state management and stuff like that in just a plain view project. Would you agree with that? 100%. And if you have to configure something because the defaults aren't like good enough for the specific project, which happens every now and then, then you can also do that in Nux. So you start and you might not know everything that's going on under the hood. But if you want to know because you have to change something, then it's easy to get into there too. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Like go go with the fundamentals at first, HTML, JavaScript, CSS, and then you can start with Nuxt. If you have like basic view knowledge, all good for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so next question here is which portion portion of the Nuxt code base do you actually maintain? Is it like all of it or is it a certain portion of it or stuff like that? Like what where do you work inside the Nuxt code base? So this isn't as easy to answer because um, so I've contributed to, to the core uh, back in the past. Nowadays, uh, I don't contribute that much to the core. So I have a few open PRs that I really should get ready to merge soon. <laughs> but besides that, I maintain a couple of modules. So for example, there is a module called the redirect module, which lets you do um, redirect inside Nux.js directly, like 301, 302 redirects. Same goes for a module that's called the feed module, where you can add like an RSS feed to your project. Um, and also a module called the Netlify files module, which uh, basically organizes the, um, the Netlify files if you use Netlify uh, inside Nuxt. Um, but I've also contributed to the Nuxt composition API module itself. And um, I've also uh, added like issues, triaging things every now and then. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty good mix. Um, but I think what I do most at the moment, besides like contributing to a little bit of the future, for example, Nux Nitro, if you have heard of it, if not, we can talk about it in a second. Um, it's actually answering questions on the Discord because what I see um, most right now is people jumping into Nux, having questions, and I want to answer them. And if, um, if these questions are getting more and more common, for example, I see the same question every time, then either I add a section of docs or at least like create an issue because I'm also not the only one writing documentation. Um, or maybe if it's something like more in-depth, then it's usually a good place to put a blog post in. So yeah, lots lots of tasks um, and lots of responsibilities as well. Um, but it's it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty good mix, I think. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and and just a little spoiler for the head for what we're going to be talking about. We're actually going to have a whole section about just maintaining an open source project. So stay tuned for that. But before we get there. I do want to talk about, you were just mentioning Nitro. I do want to talk about the future of Nuxt because there's a lot of really cool things that are being built. And I just want I would want to kind of give you the floor to talk about those and then we can kind of get into a deeper discussion on them as well. Absolutely, yeah, thanks a lot. So um, of course, Nuxt, Nuxt Free is basically the main work uh, most of the team is working on. Um, it has high priority, of course, but um, besides Nuxt Free, there is also um, Nuxt Nitro, which is basically a new server engine. And Daniel Rowe, also uh, a team member and the maintainer of uh, Nuxt, uh, gave a super talk on that uh, at View Amsterdam, uh, which is basically about um, that new server engine that enables smooth um, ren so smooth edge rendering, for example, with Cloudflare workers, and also uh, easy adaption of serverless, so like AWS, Azure, Vercel, and all that um, for Nux free, but also backwards compatible to Nux two. So this this is a huge thing because serverless support was always well a bit trickier in Nux than it should be, and this will be resolved with with Nux Nitro, uh, and also lots of cool features that uh, are 
being built for Nux 3 right now. We try to backport them at some point to Nux 2. So maybe they can even be tested out in Nux 2 with like a compatibility module or some flag before Nux 3 is in there. And ideally, like Nux 2 users that might be also stay in Nux 2 because of Vue 2 um, will also, well, benefit from all these. That's a really interesting like uh, philosophy is to like backport everything. Not, I'm guessing not everything, obviously, but like a big portion of the major, uh, the major stuff. And it seems like Vue three had the same approach, right? Because like you can kind of use the composition API in Vue two and stuff like that. And I think I thought that was a really smart idea because just wrapping your head around it, getting getting your code starting at least started to migrate will help the adoption of the new version of Vue and probably the new versions of Nux. Is that the kind of mentality that you guys took with that? Or is that kind of just a byproduct of doing these major changes? For sure. So no, that, that's definitely the same the same uh, direction direction we took. And I'm, I'm super happy uh, about also the, the Vue composition API that has been backported as a plugin. It's now moving into the core of Vue, which also gives uh, room for more improvements on the Vue 2 composition API part. And yet, that, that's basically a similar idea. Um, I think this will even go a step further, but I can't tell a lot about that. <laughs> um, so we, we will see. Uh, we will see how things uh, turn out. But also about uh, like next modules, we don't want to have a huge breakage between next two and next three. Even though the internal architecture might change a little, because also um, v two v three is a huge internal change. Uh, might not be for the developer using it. But uh, the whole internal structure will, well, undergo <laughs> a large, a large change and also rewrite. And ideally, um, you you should be able to use every next module, next two and next three, with without breaking lots of things. We need a bit work, a bit of work from module offers. But again, we try to make all of these things as smooth as possible. And I think we're on a good way there. Perfect. I think I think this kind of like helps the fears of someone starting out with a framework. Uh, right at the point where it's kind of migrating to a new version because i know like uh a, f- a few times i've started out with something and there's always like this thing like a new version coming soon and i'm like well should i really should i just wait for the new version but with this with this mentality i don't think there's any reason to wait you should just kind of get started with nuxt and when a new version comes i'm sure you're going to have a migration plan of some sorts and you should follow that whenever you're comfortable i i like that flexibility that you're providing by doing the you know backwards compatibility making sure all the features work across board yeah and it's it's super important and also that question like oh nux free it's announced it will come this year uh, should i wait or should i start with nux 2 my opinion and my answer to this question is always i would start because not only the migration will be smoother and i'm wondering like of course nux free will be will be huge it will be super good improvements but right now what is keeping you from starting a project which maybe view free feature is that that thing that makes and breaks using view two right now is it a composition api then we have a module for that and you can just use it and all good um and if it's something else i i want to know and maybe this is something that either can be worked around the next two and the migration was super easy or it's maybe not of a big deal because sure, the view free improvements are there, especially like performance in general uh, and being having everything being tree shakeable and again, the composition API, but there are lots of things that can be migrated easily. Plus, if you start now, you get feedback from people, be it your customers, be it your team. So all the time waiting for the release is of course also some kind of lost time because that's time where you could uh, develop your project and bring it further. Absolutely. 
Um, okay. Uh, I think like let's move on to the next kind of main topic here because we got a really good overview on Nuxt. Uh, thanks, thanks a lot, Alex, for that. But it's really important to kind of see all the different paths of web development. And something that we haven't talked about enough on this podcast that we should be talking about more is maintaining open source projects, contributing to open source, and just everything around open source. So I want to take some time and really dig, dig in with you on that. Um, so first thing here is how did you become a core maintainer for something as awesome as Nuxt? Okay, so uh, um, that that's that's a quite neat story, I think. Um, so back then, when I started with web development and also founded my own company and stuff, I did like websites for small medium enterprises. So like the classic path freelancer is doing, oh, for sure. Uh, I found out quickly about the PHP framework called Laravel, still super popular and still something I like to use, um, and started to also check out packages and getting into open source there a little, but not maintaining many things, mostly like raising issues and looking at the code. So mostly being a consumer. Um, and of course, if you're not aware of that Laravel, use of Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel and Evan, um, they're friends, I would say, and there's always like a friendship between these two frameworks. So I got to know Vue and wasn't going the React way or maybe Angular back then. So yeah, I started looking into Vue and I used Laravel and Vue together. And at some point I felt like I could do the whole front end in Vue because it's easier with the routing. So I don't have to figure out which router should I use, Laravel's built-in router or Vue router and so on. And at that point, I also built a client side in Vue and I realized, oh, there is a problem with search engine optimization because as I mentioned before, you have a single page application, the HTML is generated through JavaScript. That's uh, yeah, that's a pity there. Uh, and then I found out about Nuxt. And again, I was just uh, one of the people consuming and using the framework. Uh, and I enjoyed it a lot, but it was also at the, well, earlier stage uh, and not that mature as it is right now. So that was 2018. Yeah, it should be 2018. Um, so I, I was using it earlier, like January, February. Um, it also started like raising issues uh, and uh, like, just fixed an example as a first pull request. And uh, that was super cool because the maintainers were friendly and they merged it, said uh, they, were, they were even if it's just, quote, quote, just an example, they were happy about the contribution. And like, I'm happy about con contributions as well. If, if they're like typo fixes, example fixes, code contributions, it doesn't matter. All contributions that give provide value are, are super important. Anyway, uh, then I, I found out, okay, um, next modules are a thing as you mentioned before. And there were some functionalities that don't belong right inside the core of Nux, but in the module, but weren't there. There was like no module, for example, for creating like uh, an RSS feed. So I started creating that just because I thought, well, I need it. Maybe other people need that too. Uh, there is no such community module. So I was just doing it. And this is how it started. Um, then basically, some of the maintainers back then contacted me and said, like, look, uh, there are also other mo uh, modules. You want to take a look at that? And we communicated and they were super happy about the contributions. And I was happy that uh, the contributions were valued. So I also took a look at the core and read through the code and understand it even better and better. And at some point uh, in the summer, I contributed to, to core on a regular basis. Um, also with, of course, code reviews, um, with discussions with the maintainers back then. And yeah, then um, 
Sebastian uh, Chopin, uh, one of the two founders, um, there's just messaged me and said, like, look, there's a conference in London. Um, if you like, uh, we can meet there. Uh, and also we can pay for the tickets. No problem. Just go for the flight in the hotel and uh, everything will, will be good. I was like, oh, wow, cool. So I was, I was more than happy and also honored. Um, so that, that was, <laughs> that was uh, exciting. Uh, and at that point, I'm, uh, I was like a few weeks before that conference uh, was, was uh, yeah, was starting. Uh, I went to Dublin for an internship there. So I had to ask my uh, to-be uh, boss then if I could take uh, a, bit of, a bit of leave to, to join a conference. They were all cool with it, so I'm super happy. Uh, and yeah, I, I was uh, flying to London and at the VGS London back then uh, in September, uh, I met uh, the Chopin brothers for the first time and uh, also like lots of other people from the view community. Um like uh, Thorsten Lüdenburg, who's uh, a German uh, View core team member, for example. Um, Gusto, who is uh, also super famous in uh, the community, and many, many more. Um, but yeah, back, back then, uh, Sebastian gave a talk, and then they were just announcing, like uh, t- telling me uh, a few minutes before they go on stage, like, yeah, you're on the slides, you're in, on the core team, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was so surprised and, again, happy and honored being like part of the project. So yeah, this this is how it all started. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I think an important thing in there too for the audience, like for our audience here, is that you know this wasn't a planned thing. I think that people will try to plan their career down to the very you know minute of like, oh, at this point I'll have six clients or like whatever, <laughs> right? Whereas like you know you, you just kind of gotta you just kind of gotta put yourself out there and gotta do something, and then you kind of carve your own kind of path in a way. Definitely. Plus, it's it's super important that um, it's it's not about like you could be two years in the industry or ten or five. It, it doesn't matter. Or even just two months. If you're eager about some project and you want to learn and you want to get into it uh, and also show it in terms of um, yeah, in investing effort, um, also like creating on modules or pull requests or even issues, then this is usually something that will be rewarded either with like adding your code there and you, you can be saying that you're part of the project that you contributed there, that you made an impact. Um, or even at some point, if you're doing it on a regular basis, uh, being part of uh, the core team at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, you, and, and that's the thing too, is like, there's no, there's no direct path to that. You know, uh, there's no way that someone can say like, I'm going to become part of the core team, but you know, it, it's just, it's just, you know, you, you did your stuff and you just, you just made it that way. And I think that that's really, really valuable for people. It's, it's, it's like whatever, what people like with guests and what we say too on the show is you just got to put yourself out there in code. It's kind of the same thing with career. You just got to do something and, you know, see, see how it goes. Cause you don't know where it's going to go. You know, you could become part of the core team or someone else could be like, Hey, I like the contributions come over to my open source project. Right. Yeah. It's something like that. Like you never know. Absolutely. Plus open source is also a great way, as you said, to, to show yourself to the world say, okay, look, um, I'm not only like having some client projects. I can also show publicly that I know how things work. It, it doesn't have to be like view, Nux, react. It doesn't matter. It can also be just, your own project, putting it open source so people can take a look at the code. Uh, and it's, it's not about that it has to be the best code ever being written. It's just, okay, uh, look, you can hold, hold yourself accountable by just sharing what you've learned. Um, and people will see, oh, look, that, that, that person tried lots of things. 
And th this is super important because it's, it's like a, a good GitHub profile says more than maybe uh, a resume at the end. Absolutely. You you can solve a problem. Like in your case, you did the RSS stuff like you can solve the, the RSS problem and you can or you could make your own API or you can do whatever it is that, you know, the listener now can go out and do. If you can solve these problems, I mean, and especially if it's open source on GitHub, whatever, then it's going to, you know, you you have a public way to show that, especially to people that are interested. And then who knows where you'll go after that? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. I, I think you, you brought up a lot of good points. Uh, and I have a, like a, a slightly similar path. I'm not as ingrained in the open source as you. I, most of my projects are closed source, unfortunately. But in open source contributions that I've done, I've always started with issues. And they've always grown to like, hey, can you create a pull request for this? So I think starting with the issues, creating really good issues is kind of like a skill in itself. And oh, a yeah, great place for, sure. for yeah for people to start because I've seen some terrible issue created issues created and people just not following the templates. Um, and if you you can stand out by just literally following a simple template and people will take notice and ask you to contribute. So that that was so a really good point. Just giving your best describing what they what the problem is there. And I, like a couple of months ago, I just took a look at the first issue I wrote on GitHub and it was uh, at some repository of a Minecraft plugin in Java and it was horrible. <laughs> like that was that was such a horrible issue. Uh, and I mean, even now I wouldn't understand the problem. And though I even wrote that like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And <laughs> well, um, it's it's even if, if you're not like good at issue writing right now, it, you can improve that. And uh, that's usually also what I try when I try issues. Um, I try always to point out if there is everything is good as like cool uh like all good i'd always say could you for example could you describe what the issue is better could you elaborate or could you add a reproduction i mean nowadays you can just add your own repository say oh yeah just do that and you see that problem uh it's super easy to fix then or to at least to, to tinker around not necessarily to fix but to see okay in this scenario i can reproduce the plug uh, the, the arrow i can reproduce the problem and i know where to look now yeah. What would you suggest, actually, because since this is like so public, obviously, by design, what would you suggest to people to sort of uh, practice this? Because I know there's going to be a lot of anxiety of people being like, I don't want to look like an idiot in front of everybody. Is there like a way to practice this without being so public or is it just you just have to just go public and get better? So uh, so if you already work at the company, then usually there are good ways to practice if you don't want to do it publicly. So usually like. Well, you can raise issues there for sure. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, it is super important that uh, that you just feel comfortable with the project itself in terms of like, if, if, you, if you use the project every now and then, it's easier to create an issue because you kind of know what you're talking about, even mm -hmm. if you don't know the details. And also then, it, of course, it's easier said than, being, than, than done, but don't be worried because people might not understand what you mean, because usually they will ask them. They will say, mm, this isn't clear. Could you maybe as an add repository or try to describe this more detailed? And I mean, nobody will blame you for writing a bad issue. Uh, if you if you put a bit of effort in that, and if it's not perfect, that's, that's not a problem at all. Because usually people, as I said, will ask, will try to figure things out with you together. Um, but it, like, on the Nuxt.js Discord, uh, on the platform there, I just wrote, I think, three or five things that you should do before like uh, asking a question or posting an issue. And these are very basic things. Like, okay, first thing is Google. 
super, super easy. If you have a problem, then Google for it. Quite common. Uh, there might be an issue about it already. Boom, mm -hmm. easy. Put a thumbs up, subscribe to the issue, read through the workarounds. That's uh, a huge part of my job, of course. Googling for errors and figuring out uh, who solved it, if it's solved, and so on. And then as just giving a bit of effort to the whole problem. Um, I think like error solving in general is is a super important skill, and this also applies here. Um, but if you're at some point very certain, okay, it's I I googled it. There is there is no way around. No, um, that error message didn't pop up. Just zero search results or nothing nothing matching. Not a problem. Then raise an issue, describe it. Ideally, add some um, add some repository. So it look like that. This is my project. Or this is this is happening here. But even even better, make like a, a tiny reproduction in terms of just add what's the minimal setup you have. So don't just add like, oh, this is my uh, 200 files project and the problem is right there. Maybe try to break it down. Uh, I also did that very often. I'm still doing that. And at some point I realized, oh, if, if I have it broken down in a very, very uh, minimal way, it works. Mm -hmm. That might be just me or my code. Um, and if it still doesn't work perfect and you have a repository, you can link it and you can say, good, this is not working there. Uh, any leads, any idea. Yeah. I love, I love that. <laughs> the break it down into the minimal thing, because honestly, the amount of times I've done that and I figured out the issue as I was breaking it down is more than the times that I've actually submitted an issue. <laughs> like every <Yep. laughs> time I do that exercise, it's like, oh yeah, it's because of like the combination of these two. And then at the very least, you'll know what the issue is much more when you do break it down. Yeah, and you also learn uh, about about things you haven't taken into consideration. I have that so often as well. I think, okay, this must be a bug in that project. And I, again, I break it down because I know, uh, I, I don't know what it could be, but if I break it down, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like not me, not my code, not another dependency. And I have it, okay, damn it, this works now. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> Same goes with like folder structure. I had that recently where we had we had an, a different folder structure than it's in the common project and it didn't work. So I found out, oh yeah, that's that's just uh, because it's in, in another subfolder and things didn't work. It's always the simplest things, right? Yeah. Occam's razor. Um, okay, so thanks for that. Let's move on to the next question here, which is what's the day-to-day -day like? So what, you know, do you sit down every day and you're like, I'm an open source maintainer, so now I maintain open source, or is it kind of like just as it flows, you do it, stuff like that? So yeah, again, this is uh, this really depends, and it, I'm I'm quite flexible there because um, I I have a day to day job, um, and part of the day to day job is also being up to date with with like view Nux. So I dedicate time to open source to like try issues, answering questions because again. Then no common problems. I know you ideally know the solution, um, but I try to take time every week for open source. It's not necessarily every day to like write code or merging PRs or commenting on things. Um, but there are also people in uh, in the Nux.js core team that are being paid, so they're working at the Nux.js company itself, where I'm not part of. Uh, and they are usually being paid to be like full-time um, open source maintainer and uh, working on, on projects around Nux there. But yeah, for me, it's like, it, it really depends on how much time I have. Also how some projects maybe depend on open source. Um, so sometimes it's also the case where, where clients say, look, this open source project is super important to us and we have a couple of issues. Do you think you could like fix them? 
then also this uh, this works out fine. But that's that's not uh, not a common rule. It's more an exception. Uh, but yeah, I, I try to well I try to dedicate at least a couple of hours every week. Um, besides like answering question Discord, which is what I'm doing every now and then, just um, when when I have the time, because community is super important, uh, super important to me. And also besides like maintaining like part of documentation. The, the ecosystem, so the modules and stuff, and, and part of the core every now and then, making parts ready to merge. It's also giving uh, giving talks, for example, which is, I think, also part of maintaining an open source project. So being or giving and spreading awareness, um, showcasing things so people can always refer to a specific talk, for example, about Nuxt in the Composition API and Strapi. So they know, okay, this is how I set up a basic front end with Nuxt for Strapi backend and using Composition API. Um, so I think these are also more or less parts of, uh, of that if you want that. You don't have to do all these things. You can, of course, if you like to. Uh, you can also just pick a subset. All good. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, for instance, that uh, Strappy conference, is that something that you kind of did on your own? Or is that something that one of the people of the Nux team reached out to you and was like, hey, can you do this? Or how does that work? Yeah, so actually, this was one of the talks uh, I was asked to give. So in this case, Sebastian asked if I could give the talk. Uh, and it was uh, around uh, the, the Easter time where it was like, okay, uh, not not that much time, but uh, I'll, I'll try and I hope it works. And <laughs> it eventually worked out. I'm super happy with the result. Um, but there are also other um, talks where I just apply like everyone else can through a call for papers. Um, and then either I'm being accepted or not. And if I am, I, I, will, I will give the talk. Like um, last year, uh, there was that View Global um, from the View Amsterdam organizers. I also applied about uh, with a talk about Nuxt uh, or View and SEO, also covering like Nuxt server-side rendering and stuff. Um, and there are also a few more conferences coming up where I'll speak about Nuxt in the Composition API or server-side rendering with Nuxt in general. Um, also, like more broader topics like uh, clean code in JavaScript and so on. And that's usually where I just yeah apply through through a CFP. Okay, really interesting. I think like I, again for our community, for us, for myself as well, it's just really interesting to hear the kind of you know how the operation works because. We've, we've all worked, or not all of us, but Matt and I have worked for larger corporations, so we know that structure. But an open source project seems like kind of like a pretty different beast uh, in the sense that it's just a little bit more, I don't want to say relaxed, but it's just different. So I've always been interested to know how the day-to-day -day or how like, you know, that, that whole side works. So it's really, you know, I guess enlightening. For, for sure it's also like it's it's a whole it's all different story if you are volunteering to work on a project because it's it's again different if you're on a payroll of a company working on the project versus yeah just doing everything in your free time um and i i can't complain because i also have benefits uh of, of um, investing time there but um also besides uh, larger corporations and people using parts uh of of my code um so yeah, there, I think there are lots of different structures. And again, like the whole sustainability in open source is still a huge topic and um, is not fully solved. I mean, there are a couple of module, uh, modules, sorry, copy, a copy of uh, models that work out more or less, but there is, I think there isn't an optimal way yet. Right. Um, actually, let's talk about that real quick for 
because sure. again, this is something that the the view like the listeners probably haven't heard of. But is there a monetary compensation for being a maintainer of a project like this, or is this kind of just literally you volunteering your time and being part of the community? I mean, you you definitely get something out of it regardless. But I'm just wondering if there is traditional compensation as well. Okay, so yeah, as I mentioned, there is uh, an Axios company, and if you are an employee there you uh, are working full-time on like, open source projects like Nuxt, the ecosystem, but also upcoming things. And of course, then you get paid. Uh, I'm not part of the company, as I mentioned before, so I don't get paid for that. There were some payments uh, in the past for certain tasks. So um, also when the company existed, so I worked with them together as a freelancer. Uh, I uh, worked together with, uh, with them for new documentation, for example. And back then there was also a Google Chrome fund where it was about performance and people fixing issues uh, were uh, eligible for some kind of issue bounty, more or less. But uh, yeah, besides that, I don't get any monetary compensation. Um, I basically get uh, the benefits that people reach out because I'm part of the team. So I can work with companies as a consultant and improve the architecture uh, and tell them how to get, I don't know, for example, better performance in the application. Uh, choose the right uh, technology, uh, and so on. So that's mainly the benefit here. Plus, also giving workshops um, and uh, yeah, mentoring people, and also yeah, workshops for companies. That's also uh, a big plus here, where uh, the reach and also being part of the core team helps. Because well, that's almost uh, the best proof for ex- being experienced. Yeah. And that's really interesting to me because it sounds like it's kind of like a traditional sense that you were just contracted out to do some work and then now you're just applying your own time uh, to maintain the project and to get those kind of connections and promote it forward because it benefits you, right? The better the project is, since you're part of that ecosystem, since you are invested in that ecosystem right now, that's your that's your consulting job, it benefits you to invest in that ecosystem with time and make it better. Right, Absolutely, so that... and people people also expect that because again, uh, they they expect me to be one of the like quote unquote most knowledgeable people about that specific technology. Uh, otherwise, they they wouldn't hire me for for the money I get because um, yeah, that's that's their expectation. So it's also my job to be up to date and to know about issues, maybe possible features, things that uh, that change inside the ecosystem. So yeah, that's that's some kind of symbiosis there. Right. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so final question here uh, is, is there anything different that you have to consider when you're coding for an open source project versus a closed source project? Or is it kind of like you apply the same technique for both now? Um, or maybe before when you weren't doing open source as well, were you coding completely differently? So um, I would say there are lots of parallels. The good thing is, even when I worked on closed source projects before getting into open source, uh, I was likely I, I was getting myself used to good like commit his uh, commit messages, for example, to some well more or less good coding standards. So even though I didn't work with lots of people and didn't have the like traditional uh, flow with like, code reviews and stuff, which in open source is super important, but I'll come to that in a bit. I tried to get like myself into the whole right flow, so I don't have to adapt when I like work with people from one day to another. Um, so I, I think in general you should more or less think about open source and closed source the same way in terms of like yeah code standards, um, code quality. 
Uh, it's not always that easy, but uh, I think it's a good rule of thumb. One thing that's uh, one one thing that's different, I think, is in closed source projects, you're more likely to just find a quote unquote quick and dirty solution that just works <laughs> because you have you have other deadlines, you have management or customers uh, pushing, and again, you, you have lots of things to do in open source that it won't work that easily because the stakeholders are different. You have also colleagues that say, yeah, that's a cool solution that maybe works for your project. But for example, Nuxt should work for lots of different projects and you can just apply a very specific solution, uh, which is why there, there will never be code inside Nuxt that just benefits uh, like one project. Um, and so this is, this is something you have to keep in mind. If you work on open source projects, you have to, to generalize a lot and think about lots of uh, different scenarios and use cases, which is really good. Because again, you should do that in closed source as well. But I, I know uh, from my own experience that you won't do that every time uh, due to time constraints and, and resources in general. But yeah, that, that's, that's super important, I think. Um, and also the whole code review culture I mentioned before uh, is something that should be well-established in almost every project. And open source is super important because again, if you add some code to an open source project, the maintainers that accept that code are more or less agreeing on maintaining this piece of code, even if you never show up again. Um, I mean, that I'm in core team means that I know people can just say, yeah, it's your code. You can, you can uh, migrate that and change that. But um, if you're like a first time contributor, then it's not that easy to also have that in mind. So um, maybe the maintainer says that's a cool feature, but it's not part, it shouldn't be part of the core. Or like, okay, you can just add it as a module, um, mostly because then you don't have to maintain it for decades. But like exaggerating here, but say even maintain it for a year. Um, this could like block lots of things because breaking changes, uh, also something you do closed source, well, more frequently, I think, than open source. Uh, and more lighthearted, I would say, um, can, can be really difficult there. One yeah. thing I was going to ask about in, in the, your particular case, but there's other projects like it as well, and, and maybe we touched on it a little bit, but um, what would be the difference? So the same question, but with the spin on it that what would be the difference between like you're relying obviously on on view, right? So like how how intertwined are, do you have to be with view? Is there a period in which it's like, OK, we're, you know, we're cutting off new updates to Nuxt and we're waiting for the new view update, like view three, four, five, whatever into the future. Right. Um, we're waiting for the new view. Like what what's the like, what do you do there? Because with views adding like I'm just going to make something up, it's views adding like a flashlight feature, which is ridiculous. But if they were adding a flashlight <laughs> feature and then Nuxt, like somebody was like, Nuxt really needs a flashlight feature. And you're like, no, views adding that. We're not allowing that. Like, what's the difference now that you're relying on someone else as well? Yeah, this applies to lots of projects. Not only view, also like Webpack with Webpack 4, Webpack 5, Babel, PostGIS, CoreJS, and so on. So yeah, there are lots of dependencies. And um, so the good thing is, if, for example, and this has happened uh, already in the past, if there are problems uh, caused by dependencies, say there is, I don't know, a bug in view, just, just for example, then... Uh, ideally, you say as Nuxt, okay, we just pin view to the, the latest version that works for us. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if we can, uh, and 
like this this is not a huge priority for for example the view core team because it's uh, mostly a service rendering thing and uh, yeah as a, as a, like fiction scenario where it's no high priority we can just fix the bug upstream and then when um we release this next version we can just allow it so that's for like bug scenarios mm-hmm. for larger updates like yeah view 2 to view 3 uh it's it's difficult but i think that's that's the case for the whole ecosystem um and also because view 2 to view 3 changes a lot internally um these these changes well they they've undergone several discussions and ideas and we, we've planned a lot with what to do should we support view free with Nux 2 is this even possible without breaking changes uh and well now there will be Nux 3 with view free we also mm-hmm. thought about having a version before supporting uh view free with with other changes but eventually we we managed to uh, to work it out without um without a like version in between so I think there is no like clear process there. It's super important to keep uh, in touch with so both both quote unquote sites. So say the view core team and the next core team, at least to know what's going on, what is being planned, uh, and also how to yeah how to to work together in the future. Um, not a like as I said, there's a new flashlight feature and uh, no, nobody knew about it from from next team. That that would be uh, well. Not with flashlight feature, but other things uh, a problem because you ha- somehow have to react to that. Um, so you guys have some insider information then, like a little bit earlier information than the public would, for example. Yeah, so we are in, in touch with the view core team. So um, we, I would say we we can uh, we we can talk with the view core team and several belongings, and also have um, yeah have a, have a gist of the ideas that uh, are coming up and that are being planned. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I think that's like a lot of insight into open source for everyone, uh, including myself and Matt. So uh, again, thank you, Alex, for coming on the show. Right now, I just want to kind of pass it off to you to tell us what you're working on, where people can find you, and all that jazz, the red carpet. (laughs) Thanks a lot. So yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, you can find me, I think, most important on Twitter, like my favorite social network, where you can always shoot me a DM if you like. Uh, if you're active on Nux Discord, I'm around there too. So if you have any questions, then you can also message me there. All good. I am blogging every now and then. I have not released a single post this year, but <laughs> I will, I promise. Anyway, there are lots of, uh, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say evergreens because they're true, but good good posts already there. So if you want, you can check out uh, my blog at nuxt.xyz. It's just an alias domain, so don't worry. <laughs> um, it's uh, just, otherwise it's, blog.lichter.io but it's always uh, tough to type so nux.xyz works <laughs> um and yeah as i said before i'm working as a web development consultant so just in any case if your company is using nux review and is interested in i don't know some architecture uh, review code review uh workshop whatever then again you can shoot me an email shoot me a dm on twitter as you like um and yeah we'll figure out Perfect. Thank you, Alex. And we're going to have all those links in the show notes. So stay tuned for that. You can check out the show notes, check out the episode. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for being on. All right. Well, that was a great call with Alex. We covered a lot of stuff. Uh, We've covered the highly secret feature of Nuxt that's coming in the flashlight apparently which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous um just just the first thing off off the top of my head when i was giving that example but um 
I hope you enjoyed that call as much as we did, but uh, as as per the usual now, to continue the show, Mike, weekly growth goal, please, sir, take it away. I kind of want to make the flashlight now and just submit it as like an official plugin. And see I don't even happens. know like like what context would the flashlight fit into. Oh, like, no problem. It just just whites out your screen. Like <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's like the it's like my flashlight on my Wear OS watch. Correct. Where yeah. like they click it and it just like makes the screen bright and like all just with a white color. Exactly. Just just literally whites out your screen. <laughs> it's a it's a completely useless thing, but like you could totally make it. Like it's it's something that could totally be made and submitted as a plugin. <laughs> Like, oh make, man, you make, don't have make, a key light. Like you yeah, better make you Alex, take this and yeah, make Alex have to review the submission. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get ready, Alex. <laughs> We're submitting a flashlight. Uh, if you're listening to this, <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's go to the weekly growth goal. Um, my weekly growth goal was just to create more content, blog posts, and get some more migrated uh, posts to the HTML Things website. Uh, I did. Almost finished a blog post and I have started to migrate some of the content that I've already created to HTML things. I think we do need to set kind of like a deadline for ourselves at this point to get that site up. Um, well, the site the site is like I could say, you know, realistically, short of me just plugging in, which is literally a couple of clicks, plugging in the blog post to actually show up on the homepage. I mean, it's done. Like we could just do it. I, I think it makes sense then to to try to do it for next week. Yeah. So at least get like we don't have to do like a full launch launch, but at least get it up so that we can start actually testing it. Because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to need, like you know, social sharing, uh, uh, meta tags, and stuff like that that maybe aren't fully set up yet or not. But whatever, who knows? I set up, I set up uh, social that works. I, I, just an example. I have no yeah. idea. I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, we if we get it up, then we can get those bugs worked out and then get some. Uh, some actual user feedback maybe from our Discord community. So stay tuned for that. We'll post a link there first to see, to see what everyone thinks. And then maybe, uh, you know, get it out and do a public launch through Twitter sometime uh, sometime in the next couple weeks, I would say. Yeah, yeah that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've been meaning to take kind of a photo shoot, as I've said, of the site in its new form because I don't know if anyone's seen it. Uh, I mean, the landing page uh, that our TikTok points do, which might have a broken link now because we moved some stuff around. Uh, but I haven't posted on TikTok in a bit, but um, the the one pager, the landing page, whatever you want to call it for our podcast is is live. And that's kind of the design language that we've used. I have all the fonts chosen and all the stuff, and it's kind of the same general aesthetic. But the the site has changed from if you're a person that has watched the streams that where I put some stuff together. The homepage is pretty much the same. You know, it was just sort of like squares and stuff. I did some resizing. And whatnot, and like some of the some of the sections don't have any content yet, so like those will be hidden. But like for the most part, the different sections are different sections. Like oh, these are like half width tiles. These are twenty five percent tiles, and blah blah blah. All the rest of that, that sort of stuff is pretty much the same. Um, so there's that. Uh, and uh, my weekly growth goal was to write three blog posts, and I didn't write a damn word. Uh, to be totally honest, uh, I don't know what happened this week. I was telling Mike this before the show. Is I was working. It wasn't like I took a week off, uh, and I don't remember what I did, and I don't know what I, I know I did stuff, <laughs> I, it's just one of those weeks, I think I was just doing a bunch of, like, random maintenance tasks, I know I got, I got pulled into sort of a side thing, um, and, uh, which led into, like, the next week as well, so I got pulled into that a little bit, which wasn't really, like, super engaging, it wasn't, didn't command all my time or anything, but that's the only thing I can remember for some reason. Just one of those weeks. I don't know. Just one of those weeks where I was probably just doing a whole bunch of little random things and just not realizing time was passing. 
But uh, yeah, I just need to, I need to write more. I wrote one blog post uh, before I made the weekly growth goal. It wasn't complete and I just haven't even touched that. I'm struggling though. So maybe you guys, the listener, maybe Mike even right now could uh, suggest some stuff. So there's a couple of things. This is a bit of a discussion though, but like just to keep it brief, um, I'm kind of struggling with, with what to write. Now, the reason why I say that is it's not the topic. I have a lot of topics I can write about, but there's sort of, I'm going to say two, but there might be more as I talk about this, just sort of two types of writing, I guess, online that I can think of. So here's an example. Mike makes a YouTube video, let's say, and he makes a YouTube video, puts it on the hat hat site, and it's about making the flashlight for Nux.js, sure. And I decide to, you know, sort of cover the video. So I watch the video, I like it. And so then I write a post about it saying like, hey, watch this video, like Mike did this. And then I write, you know, a legitimate, I didn't just like take his description, I write a legitimate thing. And that's, that's a type of post that could show up on our site. If I really like someone's video, I'm going to share it because like they're in control of those sharing things. So I might embed it or whatever. And then I'll say, hey, like, you know, check out, you know, X person's blog or X, or X person's, uh, not blog, but a video and check out what they've done. This is sort of of type informational, if you will where it's just an informational post. Now, these are brief, very to the point, all that stuff. I'm struggling because I'm writing a top five or top three, top whatever list. And I'm adding a lot of sort of like personal flair to it and like details and stuff. But I'm wondering, like, should I be focusing on just informational and cut all the fluff? Or do I need to have like both type of posts? Or should I have like these longer, more personal, I guess, posts in between, like, not in the traditional formats, like a top five post, a watch this video post, or sort of like standard formats for blogs. So I'm struggling between this, like, you know, these other posts take a long time, they're making them beefy. If someone shows up and wants to see a top five list, is it like a problem? Like, is it like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the, what the situation would be. I just, I just, absolutely. You know, I, I just don't know what to say. Like, I'm, I'm hesitating because I don't know whether to write really directly because I'm, I'm doing these three blog posts to practice, whether they end up on the site or not. I don't know. So I could choose like a random creator on YouTube. Doesn't matter who it is. Someone that does web development stuff. I watch the video. I like it. I write a blog post about it and I embed if I can or at least share, get their name out there, whatever. And I write like, hey, watch this video. This is like helpful. And this is for our community. Like, hey, this is like how to do CSS drawings or something. I don't know. Here, do it. Like, I'm just curious as to what I should do. And I just, I really, I don't know. I don't know what type. More informational, more personal. What do you think, Mike? So I've had a good amount of time to do research on like Twitter and engaging with the community and all that for the past couple of weeks. And I've really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed my time just, you know, being able to interact with developers there and learning new things and all that. And helping helping uh, grow the community by going through Twitter. So one thing that I've realized is that right now we're a tight-knit, small community. We don't have a lot of reach. Mm-hmm. And the best way to provide value and to gain that reach is to prop up the community as much as possible, right? So we need people, like right now, let's say you were to write a really in-depth blog post. You spend like three weeks on it, four weeks, a month, whatever, uh, you write a really awesome blog post that is perfect in every way. It's not going to reach the people that need it, unfortunately. We just don't have that penetration. 
And it's great. Like if you keep doing that, maybe it'll come and all that. That's great. But the problem is, is that it's just not financially feasible. It's not time feasible Mm. to be able to do that. The way that I understand it is like if you just provide value to the community by curating some content, by reading it, by really intaking it, and then providing your own feedback on it, what you're doing is kind of providing valuable content by curating something, by promoting other developers that are also trying to do the same thing by and then and then also uh you know you're learning stuff too because you're reading this content you're watching the videos and stuff like that so it's kind of like a trifecta of success in that sense and i think it's the way for us to start is again by propping up the community by helping grow the developer community by showing what's the right path by showing what the right tools are by showing what the right thing is like you know what i mean like using the already created content that's out there to build up our own audience to promote the other audiences and to kind of give something back and then again once we get to the point where we do have some notoriety we do have a community that's building that's growing that's when we start providing that like in-depth content because that's when we the reach will make sense that's when you you put in those four weeks and you put something out there that's great and there's enough people to see it that it actually like like goes to the community and it actually is a value because again right now no matter how good your content is most likely it's not going to reach the people that need it yeah that, that's a good point i mean like we've had some hits on medium my tailwind article is like pretty popular on there and like it's like sponsored on medium or whatever you call it and like it's pretty popular like pretty popular in relation to me in my other articles and so like that's but that's almost like a one hit wonder almost like in in current situation. So it's a good point because I've written other pieces that I thought were informational and I thought and then they just like didn't go anywhere. But yet our discord, our discord initially grew and I don't know whether it still is, but our discord initially grew and a lot of people were saying, oh, I found your your, your medium post. And I thought that was super interesting. I was like, really? Like all I did was write that we have a community and it was just supposed to be sort of like a landing page where people could people were like, hey, like, how do I join your community? I can just like send them to this medium page and then that's it. So that's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, maybe I should like choose a direction. I don't know. I'll learn something and then I'll like watch some videos on that and I'll kind of like curate that content and write like almost like video reviews, I guess, or whatever of it. And then I can like share because that's like that's some good like cross share and like I'm I'm getting some writing skill out of it. Like I'm. I need to repractice my writing because I used to write for a website. So, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Maybe like right now, clear, clear cut, right to the point. I'll kind of abandon that first article that I wrote. Maybe I'll take the same topic and then rewrite it in more straight to the point way. And yeah. All right. Well, all right. I'll make that my weekly growth goal this week. Then I'll, I'll do I'll try to do the three again. I'll just redo that. And hopefully, like, time won't randomly dissipate on me. I don't know what the heck happened. Did we record another episode? Like, what happened? We recorded later, right? So there's that. Like, we this week we're recording on a Monday. Last week we recorded on a Tuesday. So we have you, – you're missing a day. Um, But the, I don't know. That, that's or did about, we record on a Wednesday? Did we? Maybe. What happened? We might have recorded on a Wednesday. We did what was change. I doing yeah, on Tuesday? You know what? what? We might have recorded on the Wednesday. What was I doing on Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Well, you've broken me. All right. That's good. 
Um, well, that that concludes the show. <laughs> that concludes the show. Unless Mike has anything else to add, I'm gonna thank the Patreons and go lay down. I think. <laughs> um, remember, we're on Patreon if you want to support shows like this and help me remember what I did last week. Apparently, that's Patreon.com/slash/html. All the things. Check out the tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our three dollar tier patron, Sean from Rabbit Works JavaScript on YouTube.com/slash Rabbit Works JavaScript. Garrett from Local Path Computing and Web Design on localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Bibhashdash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. And that's it. So. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. This outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off. <laughs>